faithfulness is the call that you have on the rest of your life. And there's a lot of things out there that, that you need to be faithful to. And as adults, we, we are called to be faithful. We're called to be committed in so many areas, whether it be work or, or our family or uh, just commitments that we've made in life. So my prayer is to, to look at this subject, addressing Acts 18 and coming to this conclusion, how can we be faithful servants of Christ? What motivates us or compels us to be faithful? Well, we know it's a fruit of the Spirit. And so that's one thing that we have to be willing to let the Spirit of God produce this faithfulness in us. And if any of you draw the conclusion today, and I just need to be more faithful you've probably drawn the wrong conclusion. Because really, it is a yielding to the Spirit of God. It is a surrendering and saying, God, do this through me. Help me to not do things my own way, but, but I do want to be faithful, but I know that it's you working in me and through me in order to be a faithful servant of you. But there's a second component, not only the fruit of the Spirit as we yield to Him, but a, a goal, an understanding uh, of the, the product that faithfulness produces that motivates us to be consistent. So what drives us to be consistent? In Luke 9, in verse 62, Jesus said, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Interesting picture there of, of a farmer in his field. And if you are holding on to that plow, you better be looking forward. Or you're going to mess everything up. You're not going to be effective and the end result is not going to be what you desire. And it's the same with life. That if we want something, if we, then we have to look towards the end of the, end of the field, look towards the end, and that, that's my goal. And I'm going to make a nice row and then I'm going to do the same thing coming back and and we have to hold on to that plow and not look back and not be distracted with other things but that's the problem humanly we get distracted very easily well what I see in this passage and what ministered to my heart is I see a number of different people that were faithful and as a result of their faithfulness, we see God doing great things in the lives of the Corinthians. And so I want us to take that today and apply that to our own lives today. So I want us to connect to this one theme this morning. You see it there in your notes. Christ has called his church to serve. But his love compels our hearts to serve with faithfulness. So I want us to be compelled to faithfulness. I want us to be driven and motivated to live a life of faithfulness today. There's a number of reasons that we should be faithful, but let me highlight a couple of them. And we're going to start in verse 1 with this thought. God's love compels us to be faithful because of the need. There is a great need out there, and that should drive us to be faithful. And so notice the great need starting in verse 1. After these things, he left Athens and went to Corinth. Well, what do we know about Corinth? Some of you may not know a lot about this city and this, this place. And there's two letters that were written by Paul to the church at Corinth. You can read those and you can get some insights into some of the things that they were facing. But 
there is a great need in the city of Corinth, and that's why Paul left Athens and went there and then ultimately stayed there for a year and a half. Corinth was the political and commercial center of Greece. It wasn't Athens anymore. Athens had its heyday. Now Corinth really was the epicenter of all things. If you were the, in the in crowd and, and, and working among all the social elites, you were in Corinth. If you were in commerce in some way, you wanted to be in Corinth. But along with all that popularity, Corinth was a wicked city. It was full of violence. It was full of immorality. There have been people that have over the years named certain cities around the world uh, a, a modern-day Corinth. We, we lived in southern Utah just two hours from Las Vegas, and often people would refer to Las Vegas as a modern-day Corinth. Now, whether that is true or not, uh, there were definitely some things that, that go on in Vegas that you could say, yep, that's a modern-day Corinth. But there are a number of cities around the country and around the world that would reflect this, this mindset and this attitude and the wickedness of this city. So there was a great need in the city of Corinth for Paul to come and share Christ crucified so that people would come to faith in Jesus. In the city of Corinth, there was a temple, and many of you have heard of this. There was a temple to the goddess of love and war. Do you remember this goddess's name? Aphrodite. And there was a temple there, and up on the hill behind the city, there was this temple where there were all kinds of awful debauchery and immorality taking place as an act of worship to this goddess Aphrodite. And so this is the context and this is the atmosphere by which Paul goes to this city. Corinth was far from God. There's a great need to go to people and we are motivated to be faithful because there are people in desperate need of a Savior. Those that are far from God need a Savior. The people of Corinth were far from God. I think it was last week we looked at 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 11, and Paul is talking about their former life, these Corinthians' former life. We're not going to go there. You can look at it later. But he listed just a long list of all these awful, sinful activities that they were involved in and that because of that sinfulness, that those things were not going to earn them favor. They weren't going to get into the kingdom of God because of that. But they had to be changed and transformed to come to faith in Christ. And that's what they were in desperate need of. So Paul, again, later on, writes letters to them. But before those letters were written, he spent a year and a half with them. I want you to jump to verse 4 because I want us to see another aspect of the need, of the reason that we should be faithful servants, this compelling need of faithfulness. Notice verse 4. We see another group of people, not just the Corinthians that were in the midst of debauchery and immorality, but there's another group. And he was reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath and trying to persuade the Jews and the Greeks. So the Jews and the Greeks both at times, depending on who they were and, and their, their background, they would go to the Sabbath. Whether they were uh, Jews or whether they were proselyte uh, Jews. They were Greeks that believed uh, and were converted to uh, Judaism. They would go and, and go into the Sabbath, and this was a custom. This was a normal thing for Paul to go. The bottom line is, Paul went to these people because even though they were not immoral, 
like the Corinthians, even though they were definitely closer to God and they were God's chosen people, they still had a great need. And that's what we need to understand today. And maybe some of you uh, are, are not really grasping the significance of this, that we can come to church like the Jews went to the synagogue every Sabbath. We can come to church every Sunday and we can be religious and we can be moral and we can keep the commandments as best as we know how, and yet that doesn't earn favor with the holy God. And so again, we must get this into our minds that religiousness doesn't earn favor with God. Being moral doesn't gain acceptance with the holy God. And so there's a great need that Paul saw in Corinth to connect with these people, the ones that were immoral and the ones that were really religious and moral. They both needed a Savior. We go on and we look at verse 6 and we see some of the reaction of these people, these religious, moral individuals. Notice as Paul is preaching Jesus as the Messiah, what was their reaction in verse 6? They resisted and they blasphemed. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. There's a great need. Those near to God, those far from God, whatever the case may be, they were in need of a Savior. The desperate need that all people have is that they are without Christ and they need to come to faith in Him. That is our motivation to be faithful. That's Paul's motivation to go to Corinth. That's Paul's motivation to be consistent, to keep at the task, even though as we read uh, in the previous chapters in Acts, and then as we're going to read on later, through suffering, through difficulty, through stoning, through being beaten up, through all these things that came upon Paul as a result of his faithfulness, he didn't give up. Because he saw the great need. So much so that I don't know where it is. I think it's in Romans 9. Paul is talking about the Jewish, his brethren. And he's saying, if it were possible for them to see Jesus as the Messiah and come to faith in him, he would would give up his salvation if that were possible to see them saved. That's how much he cared. That's why Paul was faithful. Because there was a need for these individuals to come to faith in Christ. So the question is, who in your life needs to come to faith in Christ? And are we going to remain faithful to tell them, to set a good example, to pray for them, to do those things that are necessary? Well, there's another reason of faithfulness, not only the need of the people, but there's a reason to be motivated that compels us to be faithful, and it's because of the team that God allows us to work with. And so I love this passage because what we see is Paul doing ministry, but he is doing ministry with other people. And I'm so thankful for that. As I look out in this congregation, I get to work with you. I don't get to um, just serve you as the pastor, but you serve me, and together we work as servants for the Lord. The team is so important, and that's a great motivation to be faithful that we work together. Notice verses 2 and 3. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, and they came from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. So Priscilla and Aquila, Aquila is the guy, Priscilla is his wife, 
They were Jewish believers. They had to leave Rome because of persecution, because Claudius wasn't allowing Jews to be there any longer. And so they settled in Corinth. And it, and it says that they were tent makers. That was their trade. And every Jewish boy and every young Jewish man was trained in some type of vocation to supplement and to sustain them in their, in their life. And so Paul had the same trade as them. And so probably they were working um, on their projects and then they probably went to the market and they realized, hey, we're doing the same thing. And then they started talking and you can sort of envision how they came to, to get to know each other. But the vocational bond led to a, a spiritual bond when they came to understand that both of them believed on Jesus as the Messiah, as the Redeemer. And so we see that bond immediately take shape. And, and we notice there that as they connected together, it says in verse 3 that be, because of the same trade, they began to work together. And not only work together, but then they invited Paul to stay with, with them. And so they were hospitable to him. And so that's where Paul stayed as much as we can see for the year and a half that, they, that he was in Corinth. They did life together. They were part of a team. I want you to think about this for a moment because there are lots of opportunities that we have at church to serve. And it's good to not be able to, to serve alone, but to serve together. And when we work on projects together, when we uh, sign up for VBS, when we do things, uh, whatever it may be, it's nice to serve with other people. And when you do that, you get to know them. How many of you think back to a time when when you came to church and there was a, uh, some kind of event, whether it be a work project or whatever, but you worked alongside other people in the church that you may not have really known that well, but just in those hours of spending time with that person, you created a bond and, and it was enjoyable and you told stories and you laughed and you joked and you shared life together. Those are the things that bond us. See, coming together here and Sitting under the teaching of the word and worshiping is so critical, so important. And it bonds us in one way, but doing life together bonds us in another way. And this promotes, it compels us to be faithful. It gives us an incentive to say, you know what, I love this. I like serving alongside other people because it, it, it helps me to see that I'm not alone and that that would make me even want to be more faithful because I don't want to let down my team, those that I'm working with. Later on, we see Priscilla and Aquila, and we'll, we'll look at chapter 18. You can read on through that if you find interest in it. You can see their ministry continue as they pour into a young man named Apollos. And how Priscilla and Aquila really discipled him and helped him to see some things that he wasn't aware of uh, in his understanding of the word of God. So we see that connection. We see that influence. We see serving the Lord, doing it together. So they did life together. But notice as this team came together, verses 4 and 5, we see another aspect of the team, not only doing life together, but serving together. This is this, this team aspect. Notice in verse 4, and they were reasoning in the synagogue every Sabbath. And so this was just a normal thing that Paul did everywhere, everywhere he went. But then in verse 5, it says, as this context of Paul doing it day or week after week in the Sabbath, Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia and joined Paul. And so sometimes that did happen at other points. Paul always went, not always, sometimes Paul went ahead. 
went on to the next place, and then later on, the rest of the team joined him, and this was the case here. So Silas and Timothy came and joined him there, and now Paul, notice this, began to devote himself completely to the Word. Isn't it nice when someone comes alongside and says, all right, I see what you're doing, and you're really busy at that, but you could be using your gifts better over here, so let me do this for you and take this off of your shoulders so that you can be freed up to, to do what is, is most suited for you in your giftings. And that's what we want to see in the body of Christ. We want everybody using their gifts. And so Silas and Timothy came and said, hey, Paul, you're, you're doing a lot of things, including uh, making tents and, and doing a lot of other work like that, things that don't allow you to completely devote yourself to teaching the word. And so in verse 5, Silas and Timothy freed him up to, to devote himself completely to the teaching of the word of God. We see that happening in Acts in the, in the earlier chapters where the apostles were distracted with taking care of the widows and orphans and all the physical needs of that big group of, of new believers. And, and so they they realized that that couldn't be sustained and it wasn't biblical, it wasn't healthy. And so they appointed deacons to take care of some of the physical needs so that they could devote themselves completely to spiritual matters. And so we see this example there in verse 5 as well. It's all having to do with the team of serving that causes us to be compelled, to be motivated, to be driven to say, I do want to be faithful. I want to remain uh, focused on what God has called me to because I don't want to let down the team because there is a great need out there. And there's another reason for faithfulness in verses 7 and 8 that, that Jesus' love compels us to be faithful because of the response. And, and if there is no other motivation, whether it's the need or the team that, that we get to be a part of, this should motivate us to be faithful because of the response. The response of belief in Christ, of those that didn't know Christ, now coming to faith in Christ. Notice verses 7 and 8. Then he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titus. In my Bible, in the New American Standard, it says Titius. Uh, or, well, I'll, I'll just leave it there. I don't want to mispronounce it. But from what I read, it was just another version of the name Titus. This is not the Titus uh, that, that later worked with uh, Paul and served with him in one of the letters uh, that was written to him in the epistles, uh, the pastoral epistles. This is not the same Titus. So Luke identifies him as Titus Justice. But this is what is identified about Titus. Titus was a worshiper of God. Now, I want you to go back, and we're going to talk about him in, in more detail in just a moment. But go back to verse 6 for the context a little bit more of what is happening in verse 7. In verse 6, the Jews, as we already read, they rejected and they blasphemed Jesus as the Messiah. And so Paul's response was, fine, I have, I have communicated the word. Uh, we, we see other passages, uh, I think, in, in Matthew and, and in, the other, in the Gospels where, and even in the Old Testament where once you present the word and it falls on deaf ears and they reject the word and they reject the truth, that 
there is a point in which you have to come to this conclusion that there's no reason to continue uh, giving forth the truth to someone that's not willing to hear it and receive it. And so this was the conclusion that Paul had. And so he, he said, your blood be on your own heads. I'm clean. I'm not guilty any longer. I'm not responsible for your actions anymore. I've communicated it. I'm done. I'm moving on. And so Paul moved on. And so he moved uh, right next door. So one door closes. The synagogue closes in a sense. He's not going to go to the synagogue anymore. But did you notice right next door, at the end of verse 7, it says, Titus lived next door to the synagogue. So it's sort of funny and ironic. I thought that it was sort of funny that here, here, right next door, we're just going to go. We're going to go from, from one place right next door, and we're going to continue ministering right there uh, in the house of Titus Justice. That's so true of God, though. When one door closes, another door opens. And we don't always like that cliche, but it is biblical that often God will close one aspect or area of ministry but he doesn't leave us hanging. He opens up another door in his time and in his will. And often, often the door that is opened is better than the one that was closed. And that's God's wonderful love and faithfulness. But going back to this door that is now opened, this home of Titus Justice, I, I love this. And I want you to just key in on this phrase. If, if you were Titus... If you were privileged to have your name written in the word of God, as Titus here is, would, would Luke, by the power of the Spirit of God, write down this about you? He was a worshiper of God. How many of you would be described if, if let's just say, if you were to describe someone else, would you describe them that way? Oh, of all the things that I could help you understand who this person is... He's a worshiper. She's a worshiper of God. That, that's what best describes this person. I love that. A worshiper of God. What a tremendous description. Um, and, and honestly, a convicting one, because would anyone accuse me of, of that? Of all the things that they could describe me as, would they say, yeah, that, that guy's a worshiper of God? I think it's one of the highest callings that we could achieve. One of the greatest descriptions that we could have. What's your favorite day of the week? Uh, maybe, maybe Friday after work. Maybe Monday morning because you can't wait to go to work, right? <laughs> no, probably, probably not for most of us. But, but how many of us would say that Sunday is, is our favorite day of the week to be able to come to church and worship? Well, this was Titus's response. He was a worshiper of God. God provided an opportunity to serve right next door to the synagogue. Notice going on into verse 8. As one door closes, another door opens. And not only that, but more importantly, not only do doors open, but hearts begin to open. And this is the response, not only the physical location, not only God working through individuals like Titus, but now we see hearts begin to open and we see this man, Crispus, of the leader. This is, this is so God, right? This is how God works. The leader of the synagogue believed in the Lord, and so the, the time that Paul spent in the synagogue wasn't 
at all worthless, even though the majority of them blasphemed Jesus. Here, the leader of the synagogue didn't blaspheme. In fact, he believed in the Lord. And not only him, but all of his household believed as well. And so we see hearts begin to open because of why? Well, there's a couple reasons, but number one, because Paul was faithful. He was faithful to do what God had called him to do, to go into the synagogue and to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. Hearts began to open. But what really happened? They believed. They believed in the Lord. But what does that look like? When we talk about believing on Jesus, what what is actually taking place? I want you to go back. We're almost done here, but I want, I want you to go back to the Gospel of John for a moment and look at a couple verses. We actually sang a, a phrase, a line in uh, one of the, the songs, Your Love Awakens Me. There's a phrase in part of the, the song that says, You called us into the light. Let's not minimize that or overlook the, the importance of that because when we believe... On Jesus, we are being called out of darkness into light. That is belief. Believing is having our spiritual eyes open to see that we are lost without a Savior and that Jesus is the light of the world and that He is the one that we need and the only one that can save us. We see this time and again really through the Gospel of John. Uh, we, We see light mentioned a lot. John 1 and verse 4. Notice what it says, John 1 and verse 4. In Him, in Jesus, was life, and the life was the light of men. In verse 9 it says, There was the true light, which coming into the world enlightens every man. It enlightens everyone. And so Jesus, being the true light, came into the world to be born, to live, to die, to rise again. And He is the one... His light, the contrast of sin and darkness compared to holiness and righteousness and perfection in Jesus, the light, He is the one that comes into the world and enlightens every person. And so when we think about what took place in Crispus' life back in Acts and his household, and then later on at the end of verse 8 it says, many of the Corinthians were We're experiencing the same thing of believing on Jesus and then following with public baptism, declaring that they were identified in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus through baptism. It all resulted from the Spirit of God opening their eyes to the light of the world who is Jesus. Jesus said it Himself in... John 8 and verse 12, I am the light of the world. And apart from that light being exposed to the dark hearts of men, we will continue not to believe, we will continue not to respond. And so these hearts were opened and the response of these people here in Corinth that did believe was a result of the light of Jesus exposing their darkness and then helping them to understand and see the great need that they had to put their faith in Christ, to believe on Him. So as we close today, where would these Corinthian 
people be? Where would Titus and Crispus and his household and all the other Corinthians that participated in all kinds of immorality and debauchery, where would they have ended up if Paul wasn't faithful and willing to go to Corinth? Where would they have ended up? Well, we're not, I'm not going to get into the sovereignty of God and all that aspect today. Okay? Well, someone else would have come. You're right. Someone else would have come. But it was Paul that God sent. And it was Paul that was willing to go. And it was Paul that was faithful to communicate the truth of God's word. The response would have been starkly different if Paul wasn't willing to go. So it goes back to this thought and this theme. We should be, just like Paul, compelled to be faithful. We should be compelled to go to those in need. To be part of a team serving together for this this amazing response of people being exposed to the light of Jesus Christ and being born again. Don't you want to see that in your family? Don't you want to see that in, in this community? Wouldn't it be amazing if, if Malcolm and Raymond and Valparaiso and Seward and this whole area, North Lincoln, wouldn't it be amazing if years down the road, this community, community would be defined as a community of believers in Jesus? The majority of people actually believing on Jesus as the sole sufficiency for their salvation. What a tremendous prayer and desire that we should have. But it starts with you and me being faithful to what God has called us to be. And that's why it should compel us to go. It should compel us to pray. It should compel us to get over ourselves and our selfishness and our own plans and say, God, I want to be used of you for your glory. Whatever you want, I want to follow you. I want to be faithful to you. Father, we thank you for your word and we pray that you would just help us to grasp the importance of these passages to give us insight into how you work and how you move and and really how you work and move here today, not just in Corinth, but in, in Malcolm and the surrounding communities in Lincoln. God, you wanna, you're still in the business of transforming lives and whether they be people that are far from you or whether they be people that are so-called close to you, they're people that need you. And so I pray that we would have a heart to be willing to tell them to pray for them, to be faithful to you and what you've called us to do so that others may come to a knowledge, a saving knowledge of your son, Jesus. God, do the work that only you can do, but we pray that as a result of of your work that you would save many souls and that we would see this church and this community transformed for the glory of Jesus Christ. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.